0: Again, welcome this morning. We are honored and privileged to have you with us. Um, thank you for so many of you that were a part of the breakfast this morning. Thank you for the men who served and Bobby, who I know worked hard on getting food and those things ready. For those who have been cleaning up afterwards, thank you. Um, I know that as Emma and I prepared for her to share over there this morning, there was discussion with her on the fact that maybe there weren't as many stories and things. And I think part of that is because of the nature of her work. It's not glamorous to talk about sitting in hospitals, parking lots for 30 minutes or an hour, hour and a half as your husband goes in and ministers to a family and you try to contain children. It's not glamorous to talk about rides from Greensburg to Camelsville where I was on the phone ministering and counseling. It's not glamorous often to talk about me sitting on the back porch of the old parsonage or in the driveway there with folks talking and Weeping and praying together while she tried to put the kids to bed and those things. But I don't want to be certain that the minister that I've been is in many ways a reflection of her service and her surrender and sacrifice. And so I want to honor the Lord the scripture says, to honor is due to those who honor is worthy. And so to my bride, thank you for the way in which you've served me and our family and ultimately this flock. And I know that again, isn't glamorous, and it won't write books. And often won't make headlines, but thank you, beloved. This morning we're going to be talking here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I've intentionally chosen this letter that we are walking through because it is Paul's final letter that we have recorded. Paul is writing to the young protege, the young pastor in Ephesus, Timothy. And as he writes to this young minister, Paul is there in Roman imprisonment, soon awaiting his death, as history would behold it. He was beheaded at the hands of the emperor in Rome, Nero. He writes to young Timothy because there is a temptation in the midst of all that Timothy is facing to shrink back, to grow in fear of the culture and the false teachers that surround him. And so he is writing to say to him, Fan into flame. Timothy, don't shrink back. Timothy, stay the course. Timothy, keep going, brother. And so I thought that it was fitting that we would hear these last words of Paul, that they might be in some way my final words to you as one of your pastors. As we begin this morning and we think about the impact of Mother's Day, I remember back to when Emily and I first came here. We were in, but then at that point the office hadn't been remodeled, but it's about the area where Brother Todd's office is now. There was a Sunday school class, and Miss Cheryl Akerage, who was the wife of our former pastor, Mike Akerage, was our teacher, and in that class, Miss Cheryl, man, she just had a deep love for the Word. I, I remember that she would work with us as college-age students, helping equip us through the Word. And often she would have note cards that she had written down a scripture, and she would send that to us that week. And one of those scriptures I'll never forget. It was a scripture that I think we needed all seasons in life, but especially in the midst of young, youthful passions, was so true. She had us memorize 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you, except what is common to everyone. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you may escape or endure it. I'm indebted to her work of just believing that the very title today, Look to the Book, I want you to leave with this this affirmation that from beginning to end, the Word does the work. I hope and pray that after our time here, and people look back in years to come, they'll remember that, that the Word has done the work. The power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God has done the work. It's grown the church. It's, it's blessed and done. And so Paul is going to unpack to Timothy in this third and, and again, third chapter of Second Timothy, writing to Timothy of some encouraging words. And I, I want to point us there, and we're going to spend the rest of our time today unpacking just this one verse, verse 16. Listen to what he says then again as you have your copy of God's Word. Paul tells Timothy there some of the most important words in all of Scripture because of what it tells us. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Paul reminds Timothy and all of us, That the scripture has been breathed out by God. That this is God's word that has come to us. These are not merely just the words of a human author at some point in history that recorded them. But these are actually the words of a divine author. All scripture, there's sufficiency in the scripture because it is God's word. The Bible is true from cover to cover because God has breathed it out. And it's impossible for God himself to lie. You say, well, why does this even matter? Why would Paul be saying this, all Scripture is breathed out by God? Well, because the ancient world, the vast majority of people were illiterate. And so often in illiterate societies, guess what was most important? The spoken word, because people couldn't read it. So therefore, when often passages like Revelation 1 or 1 Timothy 4 talks about how to give attention to the public reading the word or read these words out loud, it was a reminder to that society that as the word would have been read, that it was... On the same level of being spoken out loud. Why? Because it was, as it says here, all scripture is breathed out by God. This is God's word you're hearing. This is God's word It's coming to you. I I don't know when it was in my life, but there was a period in time where I, I would say statements like, man, these are red letter words and that means they carry more weight. But the truth is that's not accurate because all scripture is breathed out by God. That means that whether you're reading the Gospels or you're reading in Deuteronomy and hearing the words of Moses, you're hearing God speak. And because it's God speaking, guess what, what Paul tells Timothy? It's profitable. All of the scriptures are profitable. You might say, well, how does it profit us? What work is this word doing? And that's what we're going to wrestle with today. And Paul, I think, tells him, look what he says here. Verse 16 again, 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is breathed out by God, it's profitable for teaching. For reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Simply put, when we look to the book, we learn, as it's been said through the ages that I want to make mention of or point to today, the Word of God tells us what is right, what isn't right, how to get right, and how to stay right. That's what's unfolding here. And so guess what? That doesn't mean that every chapter of every book or every verse you read is going to point to all four of those things. But so often that's what's happening. It doesn't even mean it's going to go in that order. In fact, as we work through 2 Timothy 3 today, you're going to see it doesn't always fit in the exact order of that, those words. But again, it points to these truths. And so let's look at our first truth. We look to the book. To learn what isn't right. That's that sense of all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's, it's profitable, he says, for teaching and for reproof or rebuking. You see, in chapter 3 here, Paul has just finished, as Mark was preaching last week in chapter 2 of talking about there's often these false teachers and others that are around and and he's saying listen that they might come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil and so paul is there talking about them and and warning timothy listen there's going to be all kinds of false teachers around you and in the church you, you've got to be prepared timothy and not only that sad he's saying listen you've got to be prepared that the lives of the people around you aren't going to be god honoring timothy this is going to be hard work and so look what he says look at verses one to three second timothy three with me but understand this That in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. He's going to go on to talk there more further in a minute. But listen, Paul begins there. Understand this. He says that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. We might ask, well, when are the last days? Like, when did that happen? Well, I don't have time today, but if you look back, Acts chapter 2, verse 17, Peter's on the day of Pentecost and he quotes the prophet Joel and it, where the prophet says that in the last days God would pour out his spirit on all people, right? And the reminder is, guess what? We've been in the last days now for some 2,000 plus years. People often think, well, the last days get here. Guess what? The scriptures say we've been in that. And so when he says, but understand this, that in the last days, he could say that in, in the late mid to late 60 ADs. And when he writes this, that guess what, Timothy, you're in the last days. And what's going to make the last days so hard? Like what makes it so difficult? We don't have time to walk through all these different categories of things he lists, but notice about the love of people. That's what I want to focus in on just in this moment of being rebuked of saying, this isn't right. The scripture is showing us this isn't right. Timothy, this isn't right. Greensburg Baptist, this isn't right. That's what he says here. He says, for people will be lovers of self. Now, you might ask, well, aren't we supposed to be lovers of ourselves?" Well, in the sense that, yes, we're all made in the image of God. But this loving of self is, is a way of rebuking. It's saying that, guess what, we love ourselves that we think first and foremost about our own needs and desires and everybody else is second or third or whenever they get theirs. As long as I eat, guess what? Who cares when everybody else eats? In fact, this might look like this in preaching, that a preacher who's a lover of self, like they have this, this sense of they want you to like them so much that they're not going to preach any text that might be offensive to you that you might sit in a one-on-one counseling with them and they're not willing to say, guess what, brother, sister, this is your life and this is what the scriptures say. Now, again, their tone matters in those moments, absolutely, but the temptation as a teacher or a preacher can be a lover of self and we're fearful or we shrink back from saying what needs to be said. Maybe you're wondering further, well, what might this look like in my life if I'm a lover of self? Look look at some of the things he points to. Verse 2, he says that they're disobedient to their parents. Lovers of self do what they want. Not what their parents or any teacher or coach has to say in their life. They're their own master, after all. They're only lovers of self. Look what else he says about them, that they're ungrateful. Paul's rebuking the love of self that's never appreciative. It it never has time to say thank you to that person in the drive-thru or that teacher at school. After all, shouldn't they be already serving me? I paid my money. Isn't that what that teacher gets paid for? There's this love of self, like this ungrateful attitude. But Paul's not rebuking not only those who love themselves. Look what he says there further in verse 2. For the people will be lovers of self and they'll be lovers of money. Lovers of money lead to often things that are mentioned here. Proud, arrogant, abusive. Everyone else is just a means to our own end. I shared at the beginning of the sermon there about our former pastor Mike Acreage, But I can remember so many times. But I remember this one epic moment. We were in the hallway having this discussion, the basement hallway. I think it was after a Wednesday night. We got all the kids in, and it had just been a busy time. And I was just like, man, Brother Mike, what a night. And I was like, man, do you have any wisdom for me? And he said, I'm going to pass on to you what was often passed on to me. Leave the women and the money alone. I can still hear him saying that in that hallway in that moment. And guess what? There's this sense of leaving the women and the money alone. He's, He's talking about that here. He's warning. Listen, be careful. Be warned. And not only that, look what he says to them here, verse, verse three and four, carrying on. He says, that in the last days, people are going to be heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. They're treacherous. They're reckless. They're swollen with conceit. Notice what he says here, this statement: lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I think that's one of the things Mike was saying to me there. Brother Mike was saying, listen, that, that's what it looks like. This leave the women and the money alone. This loving of pleasure. It may actually surprise you, but Barna Research, a research group, says that 68%, almost 7 out of 10 church-going men, and 50% of all pastors look at pornography regularly. I think the point is, is that being a lover of pleasure is not only something that happens in the pulpit, it also happens in the pew. He's warning them. This is the way it will be. You'll be lovers of pleasure. Maybe we might hear that and we might say, well, you know what, brother, we all struggle. And you're right, we do. But I think this is the sense of what he's saying here. Verse 4, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I I don't know about you, but instead of just dismissing that and saying, you know what, we all struggle, we all might we just say, you know what, we do, and we all need to repent. That we have loved pleasure more than we have loved God. Maybe you need to hear the words of James just as I need to hear them. That it says that we are to confess our sins to one another. Who is it that you often have times of accountability and confession with? There's some of this that he's, again, he's rebuking. He's telling him this is what is not right. This is what the last days look like. And so what is Timothy to do? Well, look what he says in verse 5. He says they have the appearance of godliness, but they're denying its power. And notice what he's a statement. This is the only command he gives to Timothy in the midst of these first nine verses. Avoid such people. Again, the context leans itself to say he's speaking about there in the church and that there's going to be false teachers and other brothers and sisters in the church who are professing one thing and living another. And we don't have time today, but if you were with us months back in 1 Corinthians 5, we talked about church discipline and what that looked like. And there seems to be that tone that Paul's there saying. But notice what else he does. He's making clear what it means who we're not to avoid. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Hear it now. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. And he goes on to say, listen, I'm talking to you about those that are in the church, those who are claiming to be one way and actually live in another. Paul says to us, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And so he writes and goes on in verses 6 through 9, he begins to talk to them about how false teachers are going to act in the church. He says they're going to take advantage of of women. In some ways, we see in 1 Timothy 4 that... Uh, he was writing there and Paul says that there's false teachers that are telling people that you shouldn't marry or in, in the church at Corinth. They were saying, guess what? If you are married, and you want to prove how spiritual you are, then husbands and wives deny each other that physical intimacy. And Paul's like, no, that's what marriage part of what marriage was designed and created for. And so Paul is writing here and he, he's, he's exposing these lies and he says, guess what? There will come a day, verse nine. When these that have lived this way, contrary, he says, they won't get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as as was that of those two men. Referring back to the Egyptian magicians that he's quoted in verse 8. Paul says there's going to come a day when people will be exposed. There ought to be a sense in which, for all of us, that probably creates a nervousness. And you can either try to reassure yourself of your own goodness and you're not that bad. Or you can do the very things we've been singing about this morning and come and find that there is no other plea than the blood of Christ. This is all my righteousness, we sang. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Or you can continue and find yourself exposed. I'm assuming that by this point most of you have heard of the evangelist who passed away, Robbie Zacharias. Rabbi Zacharias had a, had a great and powerful ministry and influencing many by the preaching of the word of God. But after his death, it began to be known and began to come out that he was actually a lover of pleasure. As different women after women began to testify about this man's ministry. You see, that was the truth that will not get very far for their folly will be plain to all. It was that of those two men. There'll come a day of being exposed. And brother and sister, I urge you with all that is in me in the midst of hearing this, what is not right, this rebuke, don't let it you withdraw from Christ, but instead let it urge you toward Him. Paul's saying to the church, there are difficult days that are here and there are difficult days that are coming and that's not because I'm leaving GBC. No, he's saying this is because times are difficult. You live in difficult days. You are living in the last days, so to speak. Paul says that these people, it's going to be challenging because it's not only they're going to be in the church, he's speaking that there's going to be people in leadership that are this way. And I think, again, we've all heard those stories. He reminds them here, guard your own heart. I don't know if Paul was speaking to you and warning you about what isn't right in your life today, what would it be? What would he be referring to? You see, the Scriptures, we need to hear it because the Scriptures remind us, that it, it reproofs us, it rebukes us. It, it's telling us this isn't right. So again, it's, the Scriptures are worthy, right? That we need to look to the book to learn what isn't right. But secondly, we need to look to the book to learn what is right. That's what he says there. All Scripture is profitable for teaching, telling us this is the way, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way you want to live your life. Look what he says, beginning in verse 10 and 11. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. I don't know about you, but as a parent, it can be really easy to tell your kid, hey, stop doing that. Quit. Give that back to your brother. Stop doing that. Get... help!" Oh. It's difficult. Right. To put down what you're reading or turn off the TV or pause the conversation you're in and and to walk over to that kid and say, hey, it's not just simply that I want you to do that. Here's how I want you to do it. Here's what it is to do it. Right. This is what the fruit of the spirit would look like in that moment. That's what Paul's saying in some ways here. Verse 10. You, however. Hey, listen, Timothy, I don't want you to only know what isn't right. Timothy, I want you to know what is right. I want you to know how to do it, Timothy. And what I'm calling you to do, Timothy, is guess what? Follow my teaching. Follow my conduct, my aim in life. Follow my suffering and persecution. Follow my patience and my love, my steadfastness. He's saying, listen, if you want to come to this school, Timothy, you can't be a one and done. You've got to be a four-year player. He's saying, listen, this won't happen just in a moment, in a quick just just blink of an eye. This is long-term work. Discipleship is long, and it's hard, and at times it doesn't appear to be growing. But he's reminding Timothy, listen, Timothy, you've followed me, brother. You've seen me. You see, I think it's a reminder that just because you're doing it right doesn't mean that things are going to be easy. But this is one of the reasons why we would urge the mothers in this room. This is why we're urging you to have your children in church. Just like we want our kids to learn under the best sports coach or music teacher, right? Or you want them to be around that farmer who can do it right or that person has those skills in baking or whatever it may be. Why? Because we believe that that person has the influence and the ability and the skill set that they can help our kids get where they want to be. I think we should ask, how much more do we desire the things of God? How much more do we desire these things? Timothy had Paul's life to follow. He had spent time. I can't urge you enough. Sunday school matters. Emily was testifying to that earlier, just to the work. i testified at the beginning of this sermon as even a college-age student. The influence that Cheryl Akeridge was having on me as she was working with me, memorizing scriptures and verses. Wednesday night, your kids showing up. Guess what? It's not just simply about what they're learning. It's also what they're seeing. They're seeing leaders in the church that are willing to sweep the floor after them. They're seeing people that are standing at the doors to make sure they're safe and guarded. They're seeing people that consistently show up at their home and drive the bus. They're seeing these people week after week serving and cooking. They're seeing so many things that are not glamorous in the eyes of this world. But it is showing them not only by what they are learning and hearing from this blessed Word, but by the way of life. Those leaders all around your children are saying to them, come, follow me. Follow the one who has made me a fisher of men. Teachers, thank you. Workers and servers, thank you. You see, that is, as Paul says, my aim in life. That's a different aim in life. Not to be first, but to be last. Last. But we know that our Savior who said, indeed, it's good to be last. He said, because the last in God's kingdom will actually be first, and the first God's kingdom shall be last. Paul is writing further, and he's saying to him, listen, the way of the cross is one of suffering. He's already reminded him, look what he says there in verse 11, persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. You see that this was the very area in which Timothy grew up. This was his home place. He's seen, right? And we know that it was there, that Derby Lystra area, that Paul was literally stoned almost. They thought he was dead. They had drug him out of the city. They stoned him. They thought he was dead. They left him by God's power. He's raised back up and begins to go and minister. That's right around where Timothy lived. So he's like, Timothy, you're aware of my sacrifice, of what happened to me for the sake of the gospel. And Timothy, I want to be clear, brother. I do not regret it. Hold fast, Timothy. Wow, look what he says, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Hear that again. Look, listen to this. We live in a culture, in a world, prosperity gospel. We're going to Africa, man. It is rampant there, the prosperity gospel. Listen to this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All, Everyone. That, that means that, guess what, if you hold to these scriptures in this culture that says that God actually created us either as a biological male or a biological female, you're going to be persecuted. If you hold to the fact that, that marriage is between one biological man and one biological woman in covenant agreement under the presence of God, you're going to be persecuted if you hold to the fact that we are all sinners and in rebellion against God and awaiting His right and justful judgment and the only way to heaven is through faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted. These are words for us today. These are the words that we need to hear. As Albert Einstein once said, what is right is not always popular and what is popular is not always right. That's the culture in which we find ourselves. And so he says there, look what he says to him. Listen. All who desire to live a godly life. There's a desire there. God has planted something within the children of God that the world doesn't have. It's a hope, and a desire, and a longing for holiness and righteousness. You might say, well, what does that look like? Well, it's opposite of some of the very things we heard earlier. You see, the godly life, as Paul describes it here, is one of self-denial, not self-love. The godly life looks to give away wealth, not hoard it. The godly life is patient not quick-tempered. The godly life is gracious and appreciative, not saying, give me, give me, give me. The gospel or the godly life remains steadfast instead of turning away. Paul writes to Timothy here urging him, don't give up, Timothy. GBC, I want you to hear you are going to face even harder times in the days ahead. This culture, man, is going further and further away from the things of God. And there is growing more and more tension and opposition. I want you to hear it from God's word. Suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. But this is why we need to hear the scriptures, isn't it? Because we need to hear what is right. That's true. Okay, it's not my best life now. It is, as Piper said, it's my best life that is to come. There's this reminder of what God's doing. So Paul says, listen, you have verse in there. You followed me, right? He, he's talking about this helpful pattern. Maybe you're wondering, like, how might I begin to help somebody else? Like, if I want, maybe a mother here wants to disciple her children or a father that wants to begin it in their home. Or maybe you'd say, you know what, I, I, there's, a, there's another young man or young woman in this church or on my job or in the community. I, I want to begin discipling, pouring in them. What would that even look like? Well, maybe this pattern is helpful. The first step is you do it and they watch. The second step is that we do it together and we talk about it as we're working on it. The third step is, guess what? You're now going to do it and I'm going to watch and give you some feedback. And the fourth step is, is once you're ready, you're going to go out and you're going to do it on your own. And you'll come back and we'll have discussion and feedback about how it went. And so there's this sense of this progress. But again, it's taking time. That's what Paul's saying. You've followed my conduct, my aim in life, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings. Paul says, Timothy, you've been walking with me, brother. That way of life is a call to sacrifice, a denial. So Paul has told Timothy, what isn't right? He said, look to the book and you'll also know what is right. But third, look to the book to learn how to get right. This is where Paul is saying there in verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction. This tells us what is correct. What is the right way? How do I get right with God? Look what he says. Can it, pick up maybe verse 14. But as for you. But as for you, now, don't don't forget what he's just said. He said evil people and imposters are going to go on from bad to worse. Now, this was part of the psalmist who had this struggle. Like he, he wondered, like, God, it doesn't seem right what's happening. The people that do wrong seem to get ahead. The people that get right, do things right, seem to get stepped on. God, this doesn't seem fair. And then maybe that question that often is posed. Why do good things happen or why do bad things happen to good people? Can I be honest with you? That's only been true once. It was at the cross where a good man, a man of God, the God man who had had no sin of his own, went to the old rugged cross for bad people like you and me. It was there that the ultimate seeming injustice took place because a good man died in the place of a bad man. But because of that good man, this bad man has been declared good by grace through faith. Hallelujah, church. It's the work of God in this. But as for you, you see, evil people, he says, notice what else he says. It's astonishing. Imposters. My kiddos are into some of that. Those game, imposters and things. If I was being straight with you, beloved. I'm terrified. After 18 years of ministry, how many imposters there may be? Evil people and imposters, he says. And the hard part is, many of these people are in leadership, preaching, teaching. It's what he's warning Timothy. There are going to be guys that are standing, declaring God's Word. Let that humble each of us. Let it urge each of us to return to the cross. But look, he says, Verse 14, but as for you, what a statement. A few weeks back, I pulled out an old letter that my dad had written to me in about 2001. As I was heading off to the University of Kentucky, and he said, Son, you're going to see and encounter things that you've not seen and encountered before. Your mother and I aren't going to be there to give you wisdom and counsel. The people you've known and grown up around aren't going to be there to help watch your life and and create some sense of accountability around you. But he was saying to me, but as for you, don't forget how we've raised you. But as for you, don't don't forget the Scriptures. But as for you, don't forget the the Messiah, the Savior that you are confessing. He, He was just reminding me, don't forget to hold fast, son, to these words. That's what Timothy's saying. He Again, Timothy, as all accounts, he's not ever been married. This is like a spiritual son to him. He's saying, son, as for you, in the midst of godless days, in the midst of people that you think are true believers on your right and left, are falling to the wayside, son... Continue, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Continue, son, in it, knowing from whom you learned it. Timothy is to remain steadfast, to not shrink back, to keep, keep believing. Right. I mean, we might hear the words of journey. Don't stop. Believe wow Right. You, you, it's, it's, but it's more than a feeling. All right. Hold on. Right. Hey, listen. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Timothy, don't let go. But Timothy, who's Timothy learned this from? That's what he says. Again, look at your word. Look, look at the book. Verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Well, we know that he's reminded him and in verse 10 and 11, he's learned many of these things from Paul. But it, not just Paul. Look what he says. Continue with me in verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. How from childhood. He's he's saying, hey, listen, Timothy, you've heard these sacred writings since you were a kid. He's looking back to chapter 1, verse 5, when he says, Timothy, Timothy, don't forget. Don't forget. I know you, 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 again, he doesn't say anything about his daddy. Timothy, I know maybe you didn't grow up in the ideal household. Your, Your daddy seemed to be a Greek and not a God follower. Timothy, I know things may have been tough for you. Again, you you saw a place where I proclaimed the gospel and they literally stoned me to death. I know you've grown up in hostile lands, Timothy. But don't you forget what I've taught you, but also, Timothy, don't forget. See, Timothy, don't, don't forget about your grandmother, Lois, and your mama, Eunice. He's saying, listen, Timothy, don't you forget. Don't you shrink back from what the ground that's been laid before you, brother. GBC, I want to urge you, we've had some faithful saints, some faithful men and women of God who have labored long and well in the vineyard before you. Let's continue to walk in their footsteps. Let's continue to hold fast to these scriptures. I think it's so, again, so vital that every mother here on this Mother's Day morning ought to be concerned, are they training up their children well? Every godly woman in this church should be thinking, are they giving their lives to other women and youth and and, and children to be acquainted with these sacred writings? Why? Why is this so important? Look what he says. I think this is kind of the culmination of of all of this that's happening in chapter 3. Hear it again in context. Verse 15. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is Mightily important because of where it leads. He says it leads and points there. I wrote this today not knowing her family would be here with her, but I wrote it and so I'm just going to read it anyway. That's why godly women like Maxine Judd spend time each morning on the phone discipling others in the word. That's why great men of God like Ray Acree sacrificed their Monday nights to go and help a man and teach him the Sunday school lesson for that week because he was homebound and couldn't come. Why do they do such things? Why do they continue to do such things? Why do others in this congregation continue to do such things? Because they know and they believe that only the Word of God is able to make one wise for salvation. Hallelujah! It's the power of God. This Word is able, he says. It's able to make you wise. For salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, the word of God tells us what isn't right. It tells us what is right, but it also tells us how to get right. And that's what he says. Look what he says here. It's able to make you wise for salvation. Well, how does this come to us? He says it's through faith in Christ Jesus. Wise to what? Wise to the truth of God's word. You see, God's word in some way is is a bigger picture of what we're unpacking here today. You see, the scriptures tell us what was right is that God created the world and everything in it, and He made man and woman in His own image, and they were in right fellowship with God and with one another. But then the Scriptures begin to tell us what isn't right, that soon that first man and woman, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God, and they went their own way and believed the lies of the enemy. But the good news is the Scriptures also tell us how to get right, that God so loved His world that He sent His only begotten Son, born of a woman who lived the life that we were called to live, died in our place. And was buried and on the third day by the power of God. He was raised again to life. To tell us, guess what? We can get right by putting our faith and trust in Christ alone. And how do we, as we come to this place here of knowing what is right, or what? how do we continue to stay right? It's by being forgiven of our sins and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, he's reminding him, Timothy, don't forget how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. I was reminded this week of studying this passage indebted to my own mother and her time of reading the Word of God to me before bed. I'm sure there were nights when I didn't seem to be listening, or my brothers. Nights when I may have fell asleep quickly. But the reminder is, church, the Word does the work. Paul was convinced that it did in Timothy's life. I'm convinced that it did in my own life. I want to know, are you convinced that it will in your family and your children's lives? Maybe you wonder here as maybe a mother, again, as we think about Mother's Day specifically, you say, well, Blake, where do I even start? I didn't grow up in a home. I I didn't have that kind of mother who was reading and studying the Scriptures with me. Or I I didn't grow up in a home that saw those things. Maybe you're wondering, where does it start? How does this Word do the work? I I would urge you maybe to start just as if you picked up, in some ways, another book off the shelf. Begin at the beginning of a book. Maybe a book like Colossians. that's short with four chapters. that points to Christ and has many great things to say. Maybe if your child's a little older and there's much wisdom in the book of James, or maybe study the Gospels together. And you know what will happen? That your son or daughter, your grandson or granddaughter, or maybe that young lady at the church that you're discipling, they'll start to hear what isn't right. They'll start to hear what is right. They'll start to hear what makes us right. And lastly, they'll hear, as we look on our final truth, how to stay right. Listen to this truth. Look to the book to learn how to stay right. This is, again, what Paul says back here, but now as we come full circle to verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That, or in order that, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As we look at the book, the Word of God is doing the work. And he's saying, listen, as you study these Scriptures, this breathed out Word of God, it's transforming you. God's work is at work in you. Maybe just for practical application, you need to ask, hey, what ways am I desiring or longing to become more and more like Christ? What areas of my life do I need to be cutting off and saying no to these sinful desires and pleasures and yes to the things of God? I'm being trained in righteousness that or in order that. Let's go with Timothy, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Timothy, you're facing challenging times. Your mentor, Paul, is going to be off the scene. People are going to look to rise up against you now. And he's saying, but look, Timothy, Timothy, you are equipped, brother. Timothy, you have enough. Greensburg Baptist, I listen, I... you have the sufficiencies because you have the precious Word of God. It is God's Word that is able to make you complete. It is God's Word that is going to equip you for every good work. You have this blessed Word enough I think it's the one thing that again what makes God's people complete it's just a steady diet of God's word a steady diet of hearing God's word i want to encourage every Sunday school class in our homes in our own hearts as we read God's word just trust and believe that the word is doing the work it's it's the word of God is equipping us for every good work it's making us complete and You ask, well, where does this lead, Timothy? Right again, it it equips him for every good work. He's complete. He's sufficient. Not in himself, but in the fact that he has the very breathed out word of God. He has God's manna. This is God's manna. This is our burning bush. Do you hear that? I know we're after so often these experiences and emotions and feelings. If I could just have that, if I could... Beloved, this is our burning bush. This is our manna from God. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you're hungry, I say to you this morning, come and eat. Come and eat. Timothy is equipped for every good work. And as Mark showed us last week, part of what this looks like in 2 Timothy 2, verse 21. Therefore, if anyone, look what he says cleanses himself from what is dishonorable. He will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. There's a call to cleansing. There's a call to confession and repentance of sin. Again, it's a rhythm we have each week here during our service. There's a call to turn and to look and trust in Christ. How does this happen? Paul says it's by looking long and looking well at the Word of God, looking at this breathed-out Word of God that you've been hearing since your childhood. You see, I'm guessing that most of us in this room, you've probably watched a YouTube video at some point. It taught you how to fix something or make something or cook something. And my guess is, depending on how detailed and important it was or the seriousness of the task or how ill-equipped you felt, you probably had to pause it and replay it and look again and again. Are we to expect any less effort from the Word of God? That we look to this book. It's just it's going to be wrestling and struggling. It's hearing from others. It's saying, "Oh, I didn't get that right. I didn't see that right. Help me, brother, sister." This is why we're studying the Word of God together as a church each Sunday, but in our Sunday school classes, in community groups on Wednesday nights, where we're just going deeper in God's Word. But I want to encourage you. This isn't like a YouTube video. You see, a YouTube video depends upon your own ability to see that, hear that, know it correctly, and implement it. This right here, this Word of God, ultimately rests in the power of God alone. God's Spirit is with you. His Spirit that is mighty and gracious to save, it is working to transform us. You're not alone as you disciple your family. You're not alone in that Sunday school class. You're not alone as you stand to preach. You're not alone on your job site as you share the gospel. The power of God's Spirit. So the person here this morning, maybe your life is characterized by love of self, love of money, love of pleasure. Hear the warning from our text. There will come a day when all of those who have sought those things will be exposed. But the good news is, as we said earlier, there is a good God who died for bad people. And his willingness was to lay down his life for a wretch like me and his willingness to lay down his life for a wretch like you. That he could not only forgive you, friend, he can transform your desires. That your love of the things of this world. And I don't have time this morning. I have a big, massive quote from George Mueller, but maybe you check him out. Mueller was this man that was used to support all these missionaries or not missionaries, sorry, orphans. And just this great work of God. But prior to that way of life, he was a wild and disobedient and reckless and lover of the world man. And by his own testimony, God changed his desires. I want you to know he can do it to you. It is the good news of the gospel that God loves and died for sinners. Hallelujah. Is there any better news? God loves sinners. God loves you. And gave his only begotten son for you. That's the extent of his love. He gave the greatest he had to give. It's the hope of the gospel. To the church this morning, my guess is there are parents here that you had children that grew up in your household hearing the word and being a part of the church. They may have confessed Christ and been baptized and seemed to truly follow Christ. But now during their college years and beyond, they've walked away from the faith altogether. Or maybe they're still professing the faith but their lifestyle is contradictory to this very word maybe you need to ask yourself have i taken this troubling news as a personal failure do i blame myself maybe on this mother's day morning you feel guilt-ridden i want to urge and encourage you the lord will help you turn to the lord trust in him and his word trusting that ultimately it's only the work of God that can transform your child, just as only God can change you or me. The Word is able to do the work, friend. Don't stop believing it. Church, there are hard days now, and there will be hard days ahead. That's absolutely clear from 2,000 years ago until now, until however long time continues. I urge you, with all that is in me, Hold to the breathed out word of God. It is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word this morning. It indeed is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you, God, that you have shown us in your kindness what is right of your goodness and your love. What isn't right of our sin. Father God, You have given us the greatest gift, Your Son, and our ability to get right by grace through faith. And Lord, we thank You. How we stay right is not in our own strength, but ultimately the work of Your Holy Spirit. So Lord, now I pray that You would bear much fruit through this Word that's preached unto them. And the Word that's been preached unto them for the last 200 years this church has existed. Father, may it continue to bear fruit and may the Word continue to be proclaimed from this very pulpit. I pray it, God that it will be so. In Jesus' name. And the church said,